and welcome to the uh, third episode of the uh, Miller's Game Room podcast. And uh, wasn't around last week because of stuff. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about possibly making this a bi-weekly show anyway because it's been a bit easier on me. And plus, uh, as I found this week, I've actually been able to get a lot to talk about. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to going over this stuff. So first up is going to be news, which is the usual stuff which is includes a bit about TGS as well as stuff from this week because uh, without spoiling TGS too much it wasn't much I uh, I particularly cared about to be honest so that's um, gonna be a smaller point and then the next part will be like talk about games and then the final part will be a topic which is related to one of the news bits that I'm gonna talk about this week so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that and go into much detail but it relates to the fallacy of separating the art from the artist which uh, if you know what's happened recently you might have an idea what that relates to so yeah, let's get on to the the first bit so in terms of news i'm going to start with the western bit of news that was announced uh, on friday so like before just for recording this and that's about the the highly like leaked grand theft auto trilogy remaster collection which is basically Let's just get GTA 3, San Andreas, and Vice City all put together into one pack on every major platform, including the Switch, which actually sounds pretty cool, and I'm interested in that one, so it'll be nice to have that portable. If it's hoping it turns out well, I'm going to keep an eye on it. I don't really get excited for Western AAA games, so but I think a, a quick release like that, especially for these older games, which it's about time they got re-released, actually. And the uh, next bit was the Animal Crossing New Horizons Direct that was mentioned before, was dated for the 15th. I might tune into that, might not, I don't know, but it really needs to be some actual content announced because there's been nothing like really substantial for months and I've not got back to the game myself and for a lot of people their their demand has kind of dropped off a bit. Yeah, I've got a lot of jobs to do in editing which is going to be amazing. Anyway, I think I emphasised that. I mean, I don't know much to say on the the directs, but I just hope it delivers, basically. Anyway, um, speaking of the other kind of direct thing, um, this week we had the the Smash presentation, and in that it was announced that that Sora from Kingdom Hearts was coming to Switch, which was actually pretty cool, actually, pretty cool news. And basically, I didn't expect it to happen. It did. It was it was worth it as the last like character for Smash because of how uh, it was a I mean Sakurai revealed that Sora won the Wii U 3DS fan poll but they just never disclosed the result because it might derail like actual negotiations which is pretty understandable and especially Kirby's like corporate vultures can behave especially with Disney and it's just even then there were a lot of visible constraints like there were no like Disney characters like at all in the the, the content at all only like Square Enix stuff. It's just that Square Enix don't own the rights to it, so they've got to negotiate with Disney. I imagine it costs a lot of money, and there's a reason why I believe that. And I, I know it's actually completely unrelated to video games. And I remember, I think it was a few months ago, watching a uh, abandoned exploration video by uh, Bright Sun Films. And what they did was they explored the the abandoned Hard Rock theme park. And one of the things I actually found, and this is relevant to this to this Kingdom Hearts thing, is they found a contract between the park operators and Disney, and it was from 2007. And one of the things that was said in it 
was the park paid the Walt Disney Company, who, 60,000 US dollars to use Bohemian Rhapsody for their fireworks display, complete with uh, all these abandoned contracts and documents, like a lot of stuff that you don't ever see get made to the public. So, if this small theme park in like America had to pay $60,000 for one piece of music, it kind of puts into perspective a bit because of how like how much Nintendo would have had to pay for it. I can I, I feel confident saying it's a lot, even though I don't know what it is. I'll probably never know what it is unless, well, unless Nintendo happens to leave a whole bunch of uh, documents abandoned in an office, which you can still find that that Bright Sun Films Hard Rock theme park video on YouTube, by the way. You could just look it up. Anyway, there were some other things as well. There was uh, they went full on with their presentation, which um. There were a few things that were alright, like there was the merchandising in the concert, which is cool. The chess set they showed looks nice, but it's way too expensive. And the other thing was like, the series is coming to Switch as well, but only as cloud ports, which is honestly kind of disappointing. It just feels that like Square didn't want to put the money in time in supporting it. With Square Enix, what I've learned over the years, and this is why this doesn't surprise me as much, is I expect anything I'm interested in from them to be boshed in some way, whether it be it gets digital only or on the cloud or they don't localize it at all. And and a lot of it's like lack of faith they have in their products that isn't Final Fantasy or aimed at a Western audience. So like IDOS stuff. So it means like you get situations like Bravely Default where Nintendo localizes those games and other games. Or you get things like Dragon Quest where their 3DS got loads of Dragon Quest games in Japan, but they never got localized, and it's just infuriating. I'm not sure it's going to do particularly well, to be honest, because this is my hunch. And, like, because they cloud, you can get them on other platforms natively, and physically on PS4, and on, on, and on pretty much every other platform as well, in a way. In fact, there's a cloud version, requires a good connection, and unless you're in a, a, very, a heavily like, built-up Western country, or Japan, or even a few other places, you're not going to be able to play it properly. So it's literally an, an access barrier. And especially for a requested port, and it's a bad decision, and I have a feeling it's not going to pay off. Anyway, yeah. Oh, eight minutes in, and I'm still not done with the news yet, because I um, picked out a few things from Tokyo Game Show, which was announced, and honestly, a lot of it, I just... I didn't particularly care for it. It was a bit quite a quiet year, and like... Past years were better, but I was I was fine with what was here-ish because there were a few things. There was the Ayudin Chronicle Rising was uh, had, had a Switch version confirmed, which is noteworthy for me, even though I'm, I'm not super interested. But it means that the Ayudin Chronicle, like the actual main game, not the Rising, that's the game before, might come to Switch too. Next one is, I mentioned about the Kogado Studio Rhythm Vision Novel, which was announced, which is called uh, Star Melody Yumemi Dreamer, which is, well, a vision novel with cute anime girls and uh, rhythm game play as well. And it's actually coming out in English. So that'll be, uh, it's said it'll be digital, but I suspect there'll probably be an Asian physical, which, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. If the actual game is good, then I'll jump in, you know. Anyway, on to the uh, final bit of news, which um, was probably my biggest announcement from the show, and that's uh, Dragon Quest X Offline was um, revealed for, well, it was already confirmed before, but it's been revealed for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Switch, and Steam for like next year, like February, around that time. Only for Japan at the moment, 
it could come over later. And um, it's going to be the volume one, and then the, the the volume two will be like a DLC. So uh, I have a feeling it'll probably eventually do all the six volumes that's been revealed, and maybe more. At least for Japan and these off these offline versions, which uh, I really hope they get localized. And to be honest, I I mean I do really want to play these offline versions, and honestly, I part of me even wants to import it, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do that, which is absolutely fine. But I'm really hyped for it, and I really hope it actually does get localized. And I think, given the platform variety, PS5, for Switch, and maybe Xbox One, if it does come to the West as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, I'm I'm going to move on to the um, review section now because um, I finished Project Crosszone, which I mentioned in the previous episodes, and yeah, I overall did quite enjoy it. As I mentioned before, it it was quite repetitive, so I had to space it out a bit. And yeah, it's um, I want the stages at the end were like the three-hour mark at one point for the last few, which is a lot, especially if you're playing on a portable. It's quite a lot to deal with. If you're playing the portables, you've got to like use a quick save feature, and also the plot finally began to make a lot of sense. So like, I'm not going to spoilers because a lot of things that start a game was like, why the fuck are all these people here? But now it's like, oh, this makes sense now, and it was good. Especially again, like after it's all over, you see the heroes like go their separate ways, and it's like kind of sad, really. Like, like you spend that whole game playing these heroes. Like, I've heard he spent over fifty hours playing this game, and then once they go on, it's like it's a bit sad in a way. Like you're saying goodbye to people and other characters, which you'll see in other games. I mean, unless you consider the Japan-only games, uh, well, obviously you might not see them again. And um, yeah, it was. I liked it, and I'm definitely gonna play the sequel. It's definitely a good game to play on the, on a trip, like on a train or something like that. It's a good little time waster, because it can sink really sink a lot of time. And also, um, I started my uh, Halloween game for this month. Uh, that game is uh, the House in Fast Morgana, which is uh, the vertical vision novel that everyone like loves, even though it gets really dark and upsetting. Um, I don't want to say much about it at the moment, but I'm hoping to do like a full impression. So uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. Anyway, um, for the final bit, I'm going to talk about, as I mentioned before, about the art from the artist site fallacy thing. And the reason why is because there was no bit of news this week that related to Dragon Quest, which you've probably heard. And um, uh, I'm going to actually uh, do some content warnings quickly for death, uh, war crimes, bigotry, especially like, anti-LGBTQ, racism... And nationalism, and uh, I think that's that's it. Yeah, I just need to case that because it was yeah. Well, the composer Kuichi Sugiyama passed away. Uh, he uh, died of septic shock, which I believe that's a natural cause. I'm not too sure, but it was like a big, big kind of. It was a big deal for like Japan because he's like an icon because of about the composer Dragon Quest series and a bunch of other like movies and games and stuff. He's got a long list. And it was announced on like the Japanese Dragon Quest website on an English page of the Square Enix website. It was a it's a quite a big deal. And of course it it's like of course it brought up a lot of his like controversial I say controversial, but it's like the harm that he's done is like outside of Dragon Quest if that makes sense and it's like and that's why people are like people 
like trying to defend him go we need to separate the art from the artist and to give an idea of what he's of some of what he's done for those who don't know um i'm not going to go into all the details one because i don't i i don't know more myself fully because a lot and two because i'm not japanese so i don't want to speak on behalf of japanese people or anyone else to have been victims of sugiyama's like the support the ideology sugiyama supports beyond the LGBTQ portion, which is what I have lived experience of. So just to give a nutshell, is um main thing is uh he's a denier of war crimes. So like Japan, what like what Japan did to China and Korea during World War Two, and then Jing massacre, which is awful, awful things. And uh, yeah, like Japan is a colonial power, and way too much to go into. And you can find more articles about these things online. The Wikipedia page of Sugiyama is a good place to start. A lot of it included like running ads regarding like pushing these denialist narratives from his own personal wealth, which included like royalties from his music, which does include Dragon Quest. He's also like promoting Japanese nationalism, which yeah, it's I believe that's prominent in Japan in some places, especially like the ruling LDP from what I was able to gather, especially from reading like from Japanese people who speak English on Twitter, especially in like the left wing spaces, but I'm not too sure on the specifics, but it's like supporting really problematic narratives about nationalism in Japan, which included racism as well. And finally, the uh, record of being anti-LGBTQ+, like the example is like he appeared on a talk show in 2015, agreeing with Japanese politician Miyo Sugita, which I'm assuming is probably LDP or on the right who claimed there was no need for LGBT education in Japanese schools. I think it might have been this one, but it was at one point Square Enix actually had to apologise for his comments and distance from himself from him, which uh, says a lot really. Uh, just yeah, there's more. I'm not going to go into it and I want to avoid being really triggering in this, but that's the, that's the nutshell. So I'm a fan of the series. So like, I've got experience with the series. It's kind of in part how I got into RPGs, so I've got that perspective. Like, want to like, want to kind of start with like two like assertions. Like, first off, you can't separate art from the artist. It's like fundamentally possible. And the second assertion is that like any death is sad, so death is objectively a sad thing. You find out somebody dies. It's like a lot of people like feel kind of a little sad because of the fact that. A life is gone but I think it depending on what the person does there's some people feel more sad than others and whereas others like even if they agree with the principle that death is sad they don't feel sad for that person dying I believe that's the case with Sugiyama like he's he's a good composer like objectively he is a good composer but the fact that these politics and the like funding links so closely were like Dragon Quest it's hard to split that especially if you're especially if you're one of those who's oppressed these viewpoints like it's a sign of privilege as well, especially like a lot of people that tend to not like it, especially from, from the English sphere. Like I don't know so much about the Japanese side, but from the English sphere, it's um mainly like white men, gamer bros, you know the usual toxic dicks from gaming and gaming circles, especially online. It was like it's disrespectful to speak ill of the dead when no, it's not disrespectful to point out objective facts. And as I said, this stuff's widely cited online. You can find this stuff yourself. And if anything, it's actually disrespectful to dismiss the harm that his ideology has done on, on people these groups have harmed. From things like 
Japanese nationalism to anti-LGBTQ and of course the sentence of those who survived like Japanese war crimes so which still like by the way it affects people to this day like even with all colonial power I know examples from the UK having aware of like how British Empire still has impacts on the former colonies to this day and that's something that a lot of people here don't know about so I can say it's still there from a British perspective so from and it's I believe I mean, it's quite similar from Japan's viewpoint because that is fundamentally what the effects that colonialism leaves. I've even seen like LGBT folk in the English community like celebrating his death, like doing the crab meme, which, as considering the harm he's done, is a valid reaction to have, especially in, like the perspective. Like, I think a lot of it just shows about all toxicity in the games community, where people think it's okay to like shit on people who right, they feel like relieved that somebody's gone who's caused harm, especially when. It comes to a series where, aside from the composer, it's incredibly wholesome because Dragon Quest is overall a very upbeat, predictable in a good way, um, very in a way vanilla and traditional. It's like that, and then you have this obvious composer who has to does the music. He has his horrible, this horrifying background, which it does impact his worldview, and indirectly like. My stance is quite left wing, and that's visible on this podcast. It's like you can't split that, and like even if I make really wholesome, cute things elsewhere, you can't split that away because it's part of who someone is. Like politics is part of who someone is, and you can't ignore that without being complicit in any harm that they cause, especially once you know about it. But with people like, especially with Sugiyama's record, it's people know about it. It's just. I think one reason why Dragon Quest has struggled to grow in the West is because when people, especially once they know Sugiyama's record, it does put them off, like, buying the games, which is also understandable. Like, if somebody gets Dragon Quest games secondhand because they don't want to give Sugiyama money, which he, I believe he does get money off the royalties directly from the games, like, there are some games in the West where he won't even let them use his music, so Square Enix have to replace it with MIDI versions, which happens with the... Uh, uh, the 3DS remakes of 7 and 8 which is a bit of a dickish move and in Smash Bros as well that had a synthesized instead of the orchestral which disappointment but this is not for lack of trying I suppose but yeah um, anyways because I now he's passed away and he's, he's been fed, he's had this funeral that happened before that was announced to the public he died on September 30th and it was a uh, revealed like on the, the 7th that he died so it was like a week so family had time to grieve which they're entitled to and yeah I think this means that hopefully this means going forward that his royalties from that will no longer be used to fund the kind of ads that push the problematic content I mentioned earlier and who knows maybe might even go towards something better but we can hope and I think also going forward because it means like He'll still have an influence on the series because he produced the Overture theme, which is a classic gaming soundtrack. It even appeared in the Olympics this year, that's how iconic it is. I don't think that's going to go away from the series, nor will a lot of remixes from older games. Like, we'll still see his music come back again. But I think going forward, the newer music will be like composed by people, probably owned in house at Square Enix, so it'll be easier for like soundtrack releases in the West and stuff like that. And I think it's probably for the best that, like, he is largely detached from the series now. Like, he's he's gone. He can't influence it anymore, aside from what work he's already done. 
and it just kind of helps in a way like disassociate its toxic like right-wing politics from a very wholesome jrpg series and uh in that sense is a good thing even though the fact that they come through death is not because death is is objectively a sad thing if that makes sense i've not really done ramples like this before for the podcast so i'm kind of like i'm hoping this came out okay i'm i'm hoping that in editing i can catch out any of the uh i can make sure any of the ums and that are taken out because it can be difficult to pro to properly type this stuff up especially when you're in this state so um yeah i'm gonna stop today so if you um liked what you heard please consider following podcast and i'll uh, see you uh, next time which will most likely be in two weeks maybe or maybe even potentially like next week depending on if the animal crossing podcast actually delivers which i really hope it does thank you so much for listening bye bye